Butts and Guts, a Cleveland Clinic podcast exploring your digestive and surgical health from end to end. Hi again, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Butts and Guts. I'm your host, Scott Steele, the chair of colorectal surgery here at the Cleveland Clinic in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. And today we're going to continue a little bit talking about transplants. And today we're going to talk specifically about liver transplants. And I'm so pleased to welcome Dr. Christiana Quintini, who is our program director and the surgical director of Cleveland Clinic's liver transplantation program. Dr. Quintini, thanks so much for coming on to Butts and Guts. Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today. So for all of our listeners out there, just to set the stage, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? And I just would like to remind the listeners that we've had a couple of transplant ones out there from Dr. Anil Vaidya and Dr. Charlie Miller for more information about transplants and organ donation. But again, Dr. Quintini, where are you from? Where'd you train? And how did it come to the point that you're here at the Cleveland Clinic? Uh, well, as my name indicates, uh, probably the readers already know I'm from Italy. I trained, I did my medical uh, uh, school in Italy, uh, part of my uh, residency there. And then uh, I decided to move to the United States in uh, the University of Miami, particularly for my uh, transplant uh, training. I got trained in uh, basically doing all organs transplants, including testing, um, kidneys, pancreas, and liver is really uh, what has uh, uh, caught my passion more than anything else. And um, since 2007, I joined the Cleveland Clinic after my uh, fellowship in Miami. And I've been here since uh, since then. The past three years, uh, I've, uh, I've become the, the, the director of the liver transplant program, which was a great honor. And uh, it's a pleasure to have uh, colleagues that have... Uh, uh, work with us uh, all throughout this uh, um, 15 years and, uh, and the fortune to have uh, great mentors uh, at the clinic and uh, in Miami. Well, we are so glad to have you here. And so let's just start very basic. What are some diseases or indications specifically regarding liver transplants that would be required for a patient? I think, I think for the listeners, it's important to know that there are two main reasons why a uh, patient needs a liver transplant. There are acute reasons, meaning the patient emergently, uh, emergently develops liver failure. Is a, this somebody has uh, had a completely normal life and all of a sudden is sick in the ICU, dying in a hospital with acute liver failure. And this can be, um, uh, can be the consequence of a viral infection, of uh, mushroom poisoning, of uh, uh, Tylenol uh, overdose. Uh, we're seeing some some of these more and more and uh, basically the liver fails acutely immediately in, in three four five days uh, uh, all the functions of, of a body stop stops and stop and, and and the patient is basically uh, in extremely uh, critical conditions and, and a liver transplant is the only way to save these patients uh, these uh, um, these are not the most common indication for it liver transfer about two three percent of the patients that do need a liver transfer for acute uh, reasons and then the majority of the patients do uh, have liver disease that develop over the course of, uh, of 10 15 20 30 years at times and the most common causes uh, of liver failure chronic liver failures are viral hepatitis uh, particularly hepatitis B and most importantly hepatitis C. Hepatitis C is now a curable disease, but uh, uh, five, ten years ago it wasn't, and a lot of patients are still presenting with uh, uh, diseases uh, uh, related to that. 
Alcohol is another um, common indication for liver transplant, alcoholic cirrhosis, obviously um, long-standing drinking. And then uh, one uh, indication that is more and more prominent is uh, NASH cirrhosis, which is a very fancy word for people that develop liver failure from a fatty liver disease. And this obesity, uh, diabetes, hypertension, uh, all those conditions that cause a liver to accumulate fat and eventually fail. There are then some uh, rare causes like autoimmune disease uh, and one emerging field uh, indication for uh, in the field of liver transplantation is uh, uh, cancer. Uh, we're transplanting more and more patients with uh, cancer that are not uh, um, resectable. It's a cancer that cannot be removed from the liver because they're either too extensive or, or the liver is damaged. And, and this is a field that is growing rapidly and one that is also very successful. So when you talk about this, about roughly how many liver transplants are needed per year in the U.S.? And again, are there enough donors out there? And what efforts are we making to increase the donors if they're not enough? This is a very important question. Uh, definitely, uh, the short answer is no. There are not enough donors for all the uh, patients that are in need. About um, 20% of the patients that do develop liver failure will end up dying without uh, having had the chance uh, of a transplant, of a life-saving transplant. Um, and I suspect the numbers is even higher if we take into consideration all the patients that uh, die even before uh, getting to a hospital or to a place where, where transplant is an option. So, but roughly, just to give you um, a magnitude of the problem, uh, roughly eight to 10,000 patients every year receive a liver transplant in the United States. Uh, about 12 to 15,000 patients are listed for a liver transplant. And again, uh, I suspect that many more would need a transplant if, if, if that was something that we could uh, provide it to everybody. And with a mortality rate of 15, 20% on, on the waiting list. So what are the different types of liver transplants and do you have to transplant the entire liver? That's, uh, that's a very, another very good question. I think uh, for the most uh, part, people think that uh, liver transplantation is something that can be done uh, from what we define cadaveric or uh, donors. So from people that have died of a, a brain hemorrhage or a car accident. And, uh, and that's not necessarily the case. Um, we are uh, using more and more a uh, type of transplant that is called the living donor liver transplantation, which is basically... Uh, a healthy living person that is donating uh, part of their liver to a uh, person in need. Uh, this uh, is possible because the liver is an amazing organ, is able to regenerate itself at a speed that is uh, um, still uh, really, really impressive to me, even after all these years. Uh, you transplant uh, um, a part of a liver to somebody, and after four to six weeks, this liver has doubled in size. And uh, so that allows us to take uh, 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 about uh, 40, 50, even 60% or 70% of, of somebody's liver and transplant, uh, transplant it to somebody that is sick. And both donor liver uh, and recipient liver will regenerate very quickly, providing full function within a week or two after the transplant or after the operation. Uh, unfortunately, though, I have to say, uh, this is uh, uh, still not the most common type of transplant. Uh, these are a great transplant because we can we can schedule, we can um, we can uh, uh, if if we had uh, um, 
infinite donors, we could provide a, a life-saving procedure to any patient in need. But as of now, it's only used five, six percent of the time, at least in the United States, where cadaveric transplant still is the most prevalent activity. So I have had the unique experience, unlike most of our listeners, of operating with you, Cristiano, and you are an incredibly gifted technical surgeon, and it's always a highlight of my day. But can you talk our listeners through the process? You know, very high level. You don't have to go into graphic detail, but what is it like? What do you do in there? A lot of people are like, what does a liver transplant mean? What are you, what are you actually doing? Uh, thank you, Scott. It's, it's always fun uh, uh, doing surgeries together. Well, uh, the the um, procedure has been perfectioned about 30, 40 years ago. And I think uh, with very small uh, variations on the team, uh, in fact, actually, we do innovate uh, quite uh, quite uh, frequently. We, we uh, I think we've reached a very good level of, uh, of um, proficiency from a technical standpoint. But these are, uh, the, the biggest progress has been made in the way we care for these patients in the pre-transplant and post-transplant uh, uh, phase of, of the disease. Now, these are big surgeries, about uh, eight to 10 hours uh, operation where there is, uh, where the patient uh, loses uh, at times uh, five, six times uh, or 10 times uh, the amount of blood that, that is circulating in their own body. Um, there is a, 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 the first phase of the surgery is always very, very intense, very um, at times bloody because these patients have, a, uh, as a consequence of their liver disease, these patients have a very, um, very uh, pronounced ability to bleed. And therefore, the, the, the first phase, which is when we remove the old liver, is always very intense and very, and very bloody. But then there is the implantation phase, which is when we bring in the new liver. And that's uh, just an, a beautiful operation because uh, everything stops, everything um, uh, is more quiet, and, and we have the ability to do very fine work with the uh, with the suturing of all these uh, uh, vessels from the donor into the recipient uh, uh, body, and and then and then the most amazing part is when we release all the all the clamps that uh, prevent the blood uh, the blood from flowing into the new liver, and then we release those uh, clamps, and, and the liver thinks up, and, and it's almost uh, like a new life uh, uh, taking place in front of our eyes. So it's just a just a beautiful uh, a beautiful thing to watch, and these patients do really. Uh, come in in uh, extremely ill conditions, and and you see them walking away from the hospital with a with a basically near normal life, uh, at least even after two two weeks after transplant. So we're going to transition to a segment of the program we like to call truth or myth. So truth or myth, it typically takes only weeks between getting on the waiting list to having surgery. So this is difficult to generalize. Uh, the if Typically, the way uh, organs are allocated to a recipient on the waiting list are uh, by disease uh, uh, severity. So if there is a patient critically ill, extremely sick, uh, the workup can take even a few days, even two, three, four days. And then the organ, the patient is placed on the list, and if it's very sick and there is an organ available, then that recipient takes priority over, uh, over uh, uh, patients that are less uh, sick. It uh, doesn't matter how long uh, his, he or she has been on the waiting list. Now, if a patient uh, has a, a much more um, uh, subtle disease and uh, slowly gets sicker, um, the workup takes about 
a couple of weeks to get all the intense testing that we needed to do. But then, and then, and then the wait list uh, time is variable. It depends on uh, how sick the patient is. Uh, so it's very difficult to, to actually give a very exact numbers. Truth or myth, recovery time from liver transplantation can take months. I would say myth uh, with the caveat that, again, if somebody is in good uh, conditions at the time of transplant, uh, the average uh, time spent in the hospital after a transplant is about 10, 12 days. And the patient uh, walks away from, from, from the hospital with his own uh, uh, feet and is uh, able to go back to his normal life and his normal work uh, even a month and a half after a liver transplant. Uh, however, there are those patients that are sick in the ICU um, with uh, a number of life support, and those patients do require a long time to recover because they're uh, most of the time also malnourished and they have infections. And, and, and rehab is uh, critical for those patients. And yes, it can take a few months. Truth or myth, donors need to be related to the patient to achieve successful surgery. That's another myth. Uh, it's uh, uh, the only thing that has to be uh, present, uh, at least in the United States, that's not even true in some Asian country where, where there's really a critical uh, need for organs. But the only thing that needs to be um, present is blood type compatibility between the donor and the recipient. It doesn't have to be a family member. It can be a friend or a, a member of the community uh, and uh, uh, the goodwill of a stranger can, can make this happen. We had uh, uh, witnessed that and, uh, and it's a beautiful uh, act of generosity. Uh, but yes, blood type and then uh, also uh, the donor obviously have to, has to be a healthy person and we typically don't accept donors that are uh, 60 or older because, uh, you know, it's still an operation for them. And, and we just want to make sure that uh, that is done in the safest possible way. So a couple of different things about factors right now in terms of kind of predicting outcomes. So first, what factors can impact qualifications? You mentioned this very briefly to get yourself on the transplant list or for somebody to put you on the transplant list. And then second of all, are there any specific factors that you would say this is a little bit better in terms of patients who go through in terms of overall success of the operation? Absolutely. This has been extensively studied. Uh, so I tell all my patients, uh, getting a liver transplant is like running uh, uh, two marathons back to back. So your heart has to be perfectly uh, fit or reasonably fit. Your lungs have to be great. Uh, you have to have a, have a great psychosocial uh, support at home. Um, and we don't like to transplant people with, uh, with active infection. Um, and, and, um, and there are a number of other things that we look at. Um, basically, also the nutrition status is, is critically important. You can imagine that if somebody arrives at a transplant with good muscles, good functional state, that person is going to recover much faster than somebody that has been uh, debilitated by his disease and bedridden for uh, for a month. Uh, so factors are overall functional uh, state of the person at the time of transplant, and uh, particularly nutrition and um, the presence of infections. These are the three most important uh, aspects for success. So. Uh Looking ahead to the future, I know this is an ever-changing world and ever-evolving field. 
what's on the horizon in terms of research to liver transplantation that will ultimately result in better outcomes, both quality of life as well for donors as well as for the recipients? Oh, this is a this is a, one of the reasons why I love transplant is because the ch- the the field is constantly changing. Uh, we always have the ability to introduce uh, um, life changing innovations. Uh, just to give you a few examples, um, we are pioneering here at the clinic a new device to preserve organs. So we build our own device to maintain um, uh, tissues and organs alive during the, the preservation time. So this uh, we, we we put a lot of effort and and uh, I think this effort is paying great dividends. We we have one of the busiest uh, practice in the world now, and we've been able to transplant more patients as a result of this uh, new technology that we are introducing. Uh, regenerative medicine. Uh, you brought in uh, and thank you for that, uh, Amy Leitner, who's who's a world leader in regenerative medicine. There is a huge um, potential between regenerative uh, medicine and uh, transplant where we can actually use uh, cells that have the ability to repair um, directly into the organs and make them better. Uh, There are studies uh, that uh, are looking at at, at ways to uh, prevent a patient from being on immunosuppressive uh, treatment for for their life. So there are uh, ways to make them accept the organ better. Uh, we discussed uh, briefly and touched upon the field of transplant oncology. So now we can use transplant as a way to, to treat cancers that uh, um, have been untreatable uh, until now. And lastly, the field of living donor, where we're pushing more and more the limit to transplant more patients with a living donor and therefore preventing death on the waiting list and making also this operation uh, safer on the donor. So. Uh, these are, are, are the very exciting uh, things that we're, we're uh, currently uh, working on at the Cleveland. So we always like to get to know our guests a little bit better. So we're going to end up here with some quick hitters. So first of all, what is your favorite food? Oh, uh, definitely Italian. Yeah, no you, got, you got something specific within that Italian, uh, that, that grouping there? Oh, well, so um, definitely I, I love Italian pizza, which is very different from American pizza. I know this sounds a little bit uh, weird, but it, this is something that I always look forward when I go back home to have a, a very good pizza. And for the listeners that had a, a pizza in Italy, uh, they will probably understand why. And also, uh, as a good Italian, uh, you know, I love my mom's pasta. So every time I can. I either go back home or I, I get her here, and, and that's always something that we enjoy and enjoy having together. And just hearing you say that, I don't normally plug shows, but I can say having watched extensively Stanley Tucci's Exploring Italy, that uh, it makes me hungry to <laughs> talk about that. So, what is your favorite sport? My favorite sport, I think my favorite sports i love water polo i used to play water polo um i enjoy watching a good soccer game uh with friends that's uh, i would say is my favorite sport what is the last non-medical book that you've read oh that's a tricky question i uh, i loved the alchemist of pablo coelho it's a it's a it's a book that i've read in the past but i recently uh, ready again and is uh, just one of my favorite yeah i i would agree with you though that's a it's a nice easy read but it's a very very sweet book it's got a lot of take-home points and then finally uh what is it about northeast ohio specifically here in cleveland that you like it's uh it's a place where 
where there's a lot there's a lot of good people and and it's a it's a place that is perfect for families i have uh, three little children uh, and so and um and we just love the the ability to to connect with people and and be surrounded by really really generous and and uh, people and lots of friends and um so that's what we value the most that's fantastic stuff so why don't you give us a final take-home message to our listeners regarding liver transplant well, the final take home is very simple. Uh, liver transplantation is uh, a, an exceptionally successful uh, treatment option uh, with 92, 93% one year survival uh, for patients that have uh, basically um, no chance of, of surviving a disease. So it's, a, it's something that is a very effective. I think uh, a few things that are important for the listeners. Um, if you know somebody that is in need of a liver transplant, please uh, send them to large institutions because that's where the multidisciplinary care uh, happens at its best. And that's something that's very important for the success of liver transplantation. And also always encourage people to, to look more into the living donor option because uh, uh, a lot of people don't know that this is an option uh, when somebody's dying from liver failure and, 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 and something is very important because it can be life-saving. So for more information on Cleveland Clinic's liver transplant program, please visit clevelandclinic.org slash liver TX. That's clevelandclinic.org slash liver TX. You can also call the program at 216-444-1976. That's 216 216- Four 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 one nine seven six, And again, you've heard me say it once, you've heard me say it a thousand times. Please remember, it's important for you and your family to continue to receive medical care. Get your regular checkups and screenings and be rest assured here at Cleveland Clinic, we're taking all the necessary precautions to sterilize our facilities and to protect our patients and caregivers. Dr. Quintini, thanks so much for joining us on Butts and Guts. My pleasure, Scott. Thank you. That wraps things up here at Cleveland Clinic. Until next time, thanks for listening to Butts and Guts.